Welcome to the Chosen Brew Podcast, the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. As always, I'm your host, Liam McNally, and in this episode, taking us through his six beers that changed everything is Greg McElheron from Rhizome Beverages. He's a guy who's in the business of logistics and transportation of beer and wine and other things. I thought this was going to be boring. But my goodness, he was passionate and excited about beer. And his family have a huge history in it as well. And he's from Ireland. This is just a great listen. Let's get into it. Well, welcome, Greg, to the Chosen Brew podcast. Well, first off, how did you get into beer? And what are you doing in beer right now? Uh, great to uh, be asked to uh, join you on the podcast this week. Um, delighted to be part of this. Um, yeah, so it's Greg McElheron is my name. I set up a little business here in Melbourne called Rhizome Beverages. And uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm importing Irish craft beer predominantly. I've taken a few brands from other places as well, but uh, I'm really keen to set up I see almost like a bit of a potential trade corridor between Ireland and Australia when it comes to craft products, be it beer, spirits. And uh, so stage one, I'm in at the moment, I'm importing the likes of O'Hara's, Ireland's number one craft beer brand. I've also got Eight Degrees from County Cork, bringing in some of their fantastic beers. And uh, stage two, hopefully we'll be exporting some Australian craft beers back to Ireland. That is a very good summary. And did you like the way I avoided saying your surname as well? I did, yeah. <laughs> Even though you coached me on it beforehand. Um, now, it's a tricky one. Has to be said. I'm sure it's not. <laughs> I'm not a very good linguist. Now, um, that's a good summary of um, what you're doing right now. And it's particularly exciting for Ireland right now in terms of craft beer. Tell us a little bit about what is happening because when we talk about Ireland and Irish beer, mm. I think most people revert to Guinness, maybe Murphy's, maybe Bulmer's Cider, you know, all of those, uh, Kilkenny, all of those traditional kind of big brands. Absolutely, yeah. But it, there is a, a subculture happening in Ireland which is very exciting, which you might explain might be a little bit more than a subculture, it might be becoming a culture. Well, look, I see things as being BC, before craft and after craft, basically. And I'd say the origins of craft beer in Ireland are probably around kind of 1995, thereabouts. There's a few guys like Liam Lahart and Oliver Hughes who went on to set up the Porterhouse Brewing Company, which is kind of just a phenomenal operation. And at the same time, you had uh, Seamus K. O'Hara from O'Hara's uh, and they were based in Carlo, Carlo Brewing Company. And they were really the genesis in the Republic of Ireland about um, craft brewing. And they've gone on to weather fairly difficult kind of conditions until... Because craft beer didn't just happen overnight in any country. and uh, But they've kind of stuck at it and they've been very successful. And have kind of set Ireland up uh, now with a population of a, around 4.5 million. We've got something like 120 craft breweries uh, dotted around the island. And it's just fantastic. So it's such a vibrant, uh, exciting place at the moment for craft brewing. And the beauty about it is is that it's people don't know anything about Irish beer beyond Guinness or Kilkenny, in most cases. 
So there's just a treasure trove of really exciting breweries, brewers, and beers that uh, have yet to make their way here to Australia. And I'm hoping to play a part in doing that. Now, you when you mentioned one of those names there, Porterhouse, mm. is that the place that it was in Dublin uh, and they, they were brewing their own beer, but they, they were quite against... A th- Serving Guinness, as I remember, or that they s- yeah, they serve their own stout. I remember going there. This is year. This was <laughs> over ten years ago. Yeah, look, it, it's it's phenomenal story. And I was actually reading um, about it last night. There's a, an interview with Liam Lahart on uh, an Irish radio station. Actually, where he's, he's talking about some of the dirty tricks that they had to deal with from the bigger companies uh, when they were getting started. But um, such as. Well, look, um, and this is, I think for, for most guys in the craft beer business will be aware of this, that, you know, the big companies don't always play by the rules or they're in a position to do things that they just simply can't do, such as offering lots of free stock or increased rebates or, you know, cutting lines, you know, as, as blatant as that. So, you know, it's uh, these are the kind of things that, that Liam Lahart has been speaking about in that recent interview. And, uh, you know, from my experience in the Irish market, I certainly came up up against a lot of that activity as well and um, it's weird because the big guys they're, they're big you know they don't need to resort to those kind of tactics necessarily but as we'll go on to talk about later in the podcast sometimes their overreactions can kind of be an own goal in certain ways but look the Porterhouse guys the two cousins that set it up Liam Lahart and Oliver Hughes and um, look they, they were the, the pioneers really of the craft brewing scene in, um, in Ireland and they were probably the, their craft, their microbrewery, the Porterhouse in Temple Bar, was probably about half a mile uh, from St. James's Gate. And I recall talking to the guys when it first opened, and they had a visit from. Um, there we go. I think that was a, a sound a, effect. A, a full, yeah. full keg, <laughs> beer theme sound effects the in the background. It wasn't me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they had a visit from uh, some of the top brass in uh, St. James's Gate, apparently, and they came down and checked out the bar. And they had a good laugh, and they said, "Look, we'll give you three months." And they were like, "What? What do you mean?" And uh, we'll give you three months before you shut, because uh, you don't have a Guinness, and there's no way a pub in Dublin is going to survive more than three months without Guinness. And the Porterhouse has now gone on to be, I think, it's the largest independently owned craft brewery in Ireland, uh, that and O'Hara's, but uh, they also have um, the largest pub in London. Porterhouse Cobb and Garden and they've got a, a, a really big bar in New York as well so they've uh, yeah they've, they've had a lot of fun doing what they've done and they've poked you know the big guys in the eye a few times by using brand names like Probably Larger or Wiser Buddy that kind of thing <laughs> so there was always an element of a bit of fun and humour with, with what they were doing and at the same time what was brilliant about the Porterhouse people come in and they ask for a brand and they went very sorry we don't stock that brand, but we have this or we have that. And it's quite similar, but, you know, if you like that, you may like this. And it was very disarming. Uh, so instead of just saying to people, no, we don't have that, off you go, it was really about, look, if, that, if that's your entry point into beer, then, look, yeah, leave it at the door, but come with us and check out some of these alternatives. And we're, we're sure you'll find something you like. And it's really what, what the guys have done an amazing job. Now, unfortunately... Oliver Hughes is no longer with us. He died uh, just over a year ago and um, just at a, a way too young an age. And, um, but he, his legacy um, is, you know, lives on in Ireland. They've set up 
uh, the Dingle Distillery, which is producing world-class whiskies and gins and vodkas at the moment as well. And uh, yeah, so Ireland has a, a, a debt to Oliver and Liam for the, the kind of the work that they did in getting Irish craft beer uh, going in Ireland. Yeah, absolutely. Because I remember going to their bar in the Temple Bar, and obviously, as a as a younger man, you go to Dublin, you drink Guinness. It's what what you do, and the Guinness is very nice. But I remember before I'd even heard the words craft beer, before I knew that was a thing, I was into real ales, and then went to this bar, and then no Guinness, but they had porter, oyster stout. I think they had just some sensational beers, which tasted far better than Guinness and were, seemed authentic and the, the pub atmosphere was great as well so I, I spent probably spent more time in there than I don't think I drank much Guinness after that point in Dublin which seems uh, seems counterintuitive but yeah well it shows you a bit of the, the, the power of quality then. Well look people people come to Ireland they, they, they love having a few pints it's part of taking a trip to Ireland which is fantastic and we've got some amazing bars. But I suppose really what happened, as in most countries, you know, certain breweries just grew and grew. And with improved transport links and being able to ship beer around the country, smaller breweries, local breweries, suffered and became unviable. And certain big brands emerged. And in Ireland, that was certainly the case with Guinness. And obviously Cork hung on to Murphy's and Beamish. And, uh, you know, they're quite proud about their brewing tradition there as well, and rightly so. And, uh, but, yeah, like going forward now, we're, you know, 120-plus craft breweries in Ireland. It's a very vi- vibrant, very exciting uh, scene. And, look, I think, you know, the, the breweries there will, will put it up to breweries in any other country anywhere else in terms of quality and just the experimentation sense of adventure that they're doing as well. So they're, they're, they're some really great breweries there. Now, Ireland has a problem, doesn't it, uh, with drink, generally, in a broader sense. But it has a problem with people drink for quantity, don't they? When you think of all the, those popular beers or ciders that we've mentioned, they are designed to be easy drinking and that you can have maybe six or seven pints more than you should. And it's quantity. Now, how that is flies in the face of the craft movements which are, you know you're serving beers of you know six seven eight percent alcohol mm. volume which aren't necessarily easy drinking how is ireland going to come to terms with the fact that maybe they do go out for one or two beers uh rather than you know the tradic because it is that is part of the the way of life is the the sessionability of a beer and sitting on you know yeah, look, I think buying rounds and that type of thing. And it's interesting to, to see what's happening in the Australian craft market as well because sessionable beers seem to be making a bit of a comeback, you know, quite substantially. And I think most breweries are getting into that. And, you know, I'm importing Irish craft beer now and people are going, oh, it's 4.3, you know, it's, it's not really that strong in alcohol. It's, uh, and I go, yeah, but you've got to remember, these are kind of versions of traditional Irish stout or Irish red ale. They're not supposed to be 6%. And we don't have pots. We have pints. And typically you go out for a couple of pints and you want to have a beer that you can actually have a couple of pints. So if everyone's drinking Imperial, Imperial Russian Stouts <laughs> and having five or six pints of that, they would have a real problem. <laughs> but I think every, every country there's going to be you know, certain people who, who drink to excess and overdo it. But I think generally it's one of the good things in Ireland is that you can go and have a couple of pints and 
the beers are flavoursome without being overly strong. But if you still want to go for a stronger beer, they're there. But generally speaking, it's um, you know mo- most beers are on draft at least are kind of around four and a half percent, and then some of your imports are five percent and, and above. But um, yeah, it's, it's well, we met at the Gabs Festival, mm. and one of the things that attracted me to the beers that you had on offer there, um, the O'Hara's, was the fact that they were four. 4.3, and we're in that range. And I remember discussing that with you and saying they, they taste great and full of flavour. Mm. But, you you know, you don't have to worry about it knocking your socks off after a couple of tinnies or a couple of bottles of them. So that the, there is a real uh, gap in the markets, I think, for that very flavoursome um, beer, which is on that percentage mark. Because I don't know if Australian breweries have yet to make that really tasty beer in that percentage bracket. I mean, may- maybe I just haven't tried enough beer. I'm trying. Yeah, but um, I think those traditional styles are, are superb, and, and particularly British and Irish breweries are very well-versed yeah. in making it. Well, look, I think it's, um, you know, it, it, it really harks back to the drinking culture and, you know, how different it is, because the pubs in Ireland and in the UK are very different from most of the pubs that you come across here in Australia. They're just a, a different kind of setup and structure and I suppose like, um, like I found over the last number of years in Ireland like cafe culture has really started to, to take hold and that's kind of hitting pubs uh, quite a bit and I know even today Camera in the UK released a report saying there's 18 pubs a week are getting closed down in the UK and it's, it's crazy because there's just a, a shift away from, from pubs younger generations and um, there's probably a lot of different factors uh, you know behind that and um, it's a shame because look I think you know pubs are a great place just to to meet up and to to hang out and um, you don't necessarily have to be drinking alcohol you don't have to get drunk Um, but yeah look it's just hard to imagine Ireland without the rich kind of variety of pubs that it has and even down the country, like you get lost in, in Ireland somewhere on the road and come across a little pub to ask for directions, and man, you, you get one of the best days ever. <laughs> you know? That's very true. Uh, so, yeah, here's the talk through your six beers that changed everything. So, let's get started and, and talk about your choice number one. Well, this is going to be a bit of a, a left field selection uh, for most people, I'm sure, but I'm actually going to talk about Swan Lager from uh, Perth and WA. And this is kind of going back a bit, but it's a significant beer in my lifetime because I was born into a family um, and we've been in the drinks industry in Ireland like for almost all of my life, I'm 47 now. And uh, my father had a wholesale cash and carry business at one point and we were mostly selling Guinness products and uh, Smirnoff vodka, that type of thing. And he went to some kind of trade show in the UK with some friends and he, he brought back a couple of pallets of this new beer called Swan Lager. Uh, all the way from Australia, so it was very uh, exotic. And um, a few days later, he got he got summoned to Belfast to see you know the top guys in uh, in the, the kind of Guinness at the time. And uh, he said, "Look, I've never been even met these guys. They've never. I'm such a small guy. I've never been invited anywhere. And all of a sudden, I'm getting marched up here to Belfast to see these guys. And I think basically the gist of the conversation was that we've we've learned that you've got a, a palate of some foreign beer in your warehouse and if you don't get rid of it, uh, we won't supply you with any more of our products. And they knew full well that 
the majority of the business was dependent upon their brand. So um, he came walking out of the meeting and he went, you know, I'm a little guy, you know, it's just me and they're a big company and it's a very big reaction for a couple of pallets of beer. So he thought, what are they trying to hide? Or And that's it. He, he just decided there and then he's going to get stuck into forging ahead with importing uh, other beers into the Irish market. And at that point, look, it's the same as I'm sure in Australia as well, oligopolies, a couple of big players, and they had it completely kneeled down. So he was one of the very few guys that actually started to import under his own steam. And um, he was wholesaling, and he didn't wholesale any third-party brands, only brands that he brought in directly. And to that extent, he was a bit of a pioneer in the market himself. And uh, so Swan Lager by... Alan Bond, who later has become quite—I'm um, not sure—he's he's had a, quite a colourful career, and some people call him just a, a flat-out crook. <laughs> I don't know all that much about him, but uh, I know that he was behind Swan Lagan. Somehow, it ended up in uh, in our warehouse in Newry, in Northern Ireland, back in the early '80s, and uh, it was a bit of a catalyst for for our little business. And so, what was the re- when you sold people Swan Lager? What was the reaction to it? Well, look, there was an interest in having something different. And, uh, you know, that was, that was one occasion when we tried something quite new that was probably a little bit ahead of its time. And, like, going back or going, you know, a couple of years after that, um, at the height of the kind of alcopop boom and stuff, we, we brought in uh, Redback Wheat Beer, also from Matilda Bay over in Perth, Simpatico Beer from Mexico, Sapporo from Japan, and uh, a German beer called Warsteiner. And um, again, we brought these beers in. They're fantastic beers. Each and every one are very different. But people just, the market just was not ready. So we ended up having to drink most of them ourselves. <laughs> so myself and my brothers had a great time doing that. <laughs> yeah, keep on importing these uh, foreign beers. Yeah. That <laughs> is a built-in incentive. That, that definitely is left field. Uh, first appearance on The Chosen Brew as well for Swan Lager. Possibly the last, I don't know. <laughs> Quite possibly, yeah. I'd be surprised if anyone else, because like, I do recall vaguely tasting it, and I don't think it was that much to write home about. But if I'm not mistaken i think it was the first brewery to open in australia since the end of the second world war so on that basis you know australia had this kind of really flat period for you know maybe 30 40 years when there was no new activity in brewing as such and i think it was kind of you know the the beachhead for a number of other breweries that set up in in wa as well if, if i'm not mistaken and i think it's so so exciting that because it's so so far away. I suppose, like you know, when you see it in a modern context, it's like maybe we, we're a bit jaded by international brands and having, uh, you know, it's it, you can get a parcel sent in two days. But b- back then, it's it wasn't really exotic. It was exotic to get something just from over the Irish Sea. <laughs> but you know, that is so exciting. Well, that's people are just getting over the shock of having pasta for the first time. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All exactly. of a sudden, they're getting Australian beer. It's like. What's this all about? The first time I'd ever, this is a big confession, that I'd never eaten an avocado before I came to Australia. I I was 26 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what to do with it. (laughs) um, Choice two. Okay, I'm going to go to Warsteiner from Germany. And uh, I maybe also include Kronbacher there as well because I just feel it's probably the most misunderstood beer style, pills. 
and I think Germany is just phenomenal. Uh, the tradition that they've had, the Rheinheinskabot, I'm a big fan of German beer, and um, I think really what they've had, you know, they've had maybe 5,000 beer brands, 2,500 breweries, you know, they're, they're declining the number of breweries now, they're going the opposite way from the US because they had so many, but they still managed to hang on to all of the local breweries when other countries, they fell away. And you just had all these regional variations. And I think with the pills, when it's poured correctly, uh, it's just absolutely magnificent. And it's the kind of beer that if you're walking through the desert, you know, for for a week and you finally get... I always remember that Ice Cold and Alex movie with Alex Guinness and uh, when they finally get their cold beers at the end. Big frothy head, the whole lot. And I think uh, German Pilsner, when it's poured correctly at the right temperature in the right glass, it's just uh, sublime. And it, it always kind of never ceases to amaze me that when you look at rate beer and different kind of craft beer sites, that pills uh, score so poorly. And it's just because beer doesn't always have to be, you know, 60 IBU, uh, crazy whacked out flavors. They're, they're great, there's a place for those. But sometimes, you know, just having a really amazing, you know, pills beer. And I, I, I remember asking, Peter Mosley, who's the uh, head brewer at the Porterhouse Brewery, I said, Peter, look, what's with all these pale ales? You know, every, every craft brewery's in a, a pale ale. And he said, well, look, it's, it's kind of hard to get wrong. And look, to any of you brewers out there, I don't mean to offend you. I'm sure you, you know exactly what you're doing. But he just said, look, you know, with a pale ale, even if it doesn't turn out exactly how you had it planned, you can, nobody has to know. But with the pills, there's no margin for error. You know, if you don't get it right, you know all about it. There's, there's no, there's nowhere to hide. And I think on that basis, the Germans have done an amazing job with, uh, with the pills. So, Farsteiner for me was, um, it was one of the first beers when we we had our second round after the kind of simpatico redback wheat beer and Varsteiner The first time we tried it, the market wasn't ready. We tried it a few years later, like in 1996 thereabouts, and things had changed. And a lot of people in Ireland were looking for something different and were more willing to experiment. And uh, Farstein was, was the first of uh, a number of uh, imported brands that we brought in at that time. Yeah, I absolutely 100% agree with all of that. And particularly, you started off by saying pills is misunderstood. Uh, it does rate lowly. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I was at a Crafty Pints event with Mazin from uh, Hawker's who was serving up the Hawker's Pilsner, and he said this is brilliant and was very passionate about how hard it is to make a good one, and then said an all-you craft beer, um, he used a naughty word, I think, um, right. will rate this three out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> and the, so there is a, there's definitely something in it about you know not accepting and it being misunderstood. But you're right, a good one. Yeah, but look, it's this is the thing. I, I remember um, with my wife, you know, b- before we got married, and she, you know, she knew I was into the beer game. And we, we went to Berlin one time for a weekend, and we found ourselves in this big place called the uh, Cadeve, like a big the department store. And uh, there was this tiny little concession uh, for Varsteiner, a little stand. And there's about 12 or 14 guys either waiting for their beer or drinking their beer, and one guy behind the counter. And I said, look, come here and have a look at this. And it, t- it took four minutes to pour a glass of Varsteiner. Uh, four stages, 
and that's long by Guinness's standards. It is four it, minutes. Yeah, so it's even longer. But the thing is that you're talking about with the pills in Germany. If the head falls over the side of the glass, you can send it back. You know, that's that's kind of grounds for I'm, I'm not accepting that. It's not being rude or being pedantic. It's just like you know, it's it's fair call. You know, if the head falls over the side, you send it back because it's not supposed to. It means that it wasn't poured properly. And it's just to have that interest in your beer and the way it should be poured and presented. It's the experience of, of having that beer rather than just the beer itself. And I think that's Pills probably really is, uh, you know, it, that, that really uh, accentuates that, that kind of concept. Now, talking of the, the foam on beer, Guinness is one of those fable things which has is, is a beer that has a lot of etiquette around it particularly for uh, those living on the Emerald Isle and I would drink it in my hometown Liverpool and it, it, no doubt an Irish person would lean over and say if they poured it like that where I'm from I'd take it back <laughs> I'd send it back so what is the what is the etiquette around well it's, it's funny you Guinness. say that because I lived in England for a couple of years myself and I, I wasn't a Guinness drinker at the time and I didn't really take... I struggled to find a beer that really suited me. And I remember going to pubs there and around the Yorkshire area. And they were pouring Guinness like on a... I think it was like a, with a button. So you, you put a pint glass underneath the tap, push a button, and it pours a pint. And I just went, oh, my God. That's just sacrilegious. It's blasphemous, you know? <laughs> and whenever I went back to Ireland on holidays and stuff, one of the first things I did was I, I wanted to go and get a, a proper pint of Guinness. Um, just because... It just felt so wrong seeing what was being done. <laughs> um, and I kind of acquired a taste for Guinness and for Stout that way. But it was, it was basically by seeing it done, you know, as you, as you just described. And I think Guinness is one of those really incredible brands. Um, like they're, they're, they're a huge behemoth. And yes, of course, they're a big company. But Guinness is one of those things that people are really passionate about. And I, I love Guinness as well. I really enjoy it. I love my craft beer. And to be honest, I love all beer. And that's it on a... You know, if somebody says, oh, why are you drinking this or drinking that? It's because I feel like it or I'm in, I'm in the mood for it or um, the circumstances lend itself. And the really good thing about Guinness, everybody who drinks it has a favorite pub to drink it in and swears that it tastes better there than it does in the next pub down the road. And who's to say? Now, I was speaking with a, a guy a few weeks back who um, was involved in brewing Guinness a couple of years ago here in Australia. And he was going, look, it's absolute nonsense. We brew it here exactly the same way as it's brewed in Dublin. There's no difference whatsoever. And I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> there is. And because I, for me, even if it's just kind of a cursory, there, there's, there's something about it when you're sitting down in one of your favorite pubs in Dublin and you get a proper pint of Guinness. Man, it's, uh, it, it tastes even better than it does at the Guinness Gravity Store, you know? And that's, that's in my experience. But who's right or who's wrong? The beautiful thing about it is people have an opinion and they get excited about it and they get passionate about it and there's very few other brands that people feel that strongly about. So on that basis, as big as they may be, I think it's great because it's a, it's a talking point and people get passionate about it. It's very diplomatic to say who's right and who's wrong. I think most uh, Irish people would say the Guinness ref in Australia <laughs> is wrong. <laughs> I think as, as much as they say it, there's no difference, clearly there is. Uh, and I think you're the second Irish guest on the show, Cassie O'Neill from Stomping Ground. Oh, uh, we're just having uh, one of their beers right now. Yeah, aren't we, yeah. A, 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 we had this same discussion about Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, yeah. it's different. Uh, it's different even 
when you get it from Dublin to Liverpool, which is only 50 miles away or something. So. Well, this is the thing. You know, brewed under license. Uh, I just don't get it. I think if you have a beer that's brewed in one place, um, that's where the beer's from. And once you brew it elsewhere, it ain't the same. And I think water is regarded as being the most important ingredient in beer. I certainly believe it is. And yes, you can do Burton on Trent and treat the water and whatever else it might be, but it's not the same. And you can't make wine under license, so I don't see why you should be able to make beer under license. At the end of the day, if you're paying way over the odds for a European or international beer based on the fact that the name is international but it's brewed locally, I just don't, I don't see the value in that. I think it's a bit of a con, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, and that's it. So, yeah, they're, they're saving money by brewing it over here. And, and, yeah, like it's maybe supporting jobs, for example. But, look, when you're importing stuff too, there's plenty of jobs in the docks, transport companies, shipping companies, warehousing, all these other kind of uh, ancillary kind of jobs that are related to that as well. As I think there's probably more people employed via that than sometimes when the, the other way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, choice three. Okay, so I've got to say um, Erdinger. Again, I'm going to go through my, my kind of German phase here because it's just it was such a, a seminal brand and a, it's made such a big difference to my life uh, personally. Um, like I've been kind of walking the streets of Dublin in the kind of late 90s and hitting up bars and bringing in these weird beers that people were kind of laughing at and cloudy beer, what's that about? And uh, it was really about trying to introduce people. Again, this is BC, before craft. And the Porterhouse had just opened their doors and they were doing the craft beer thing. But, you know, we had... Um, Irish people were being starved of good beer because the distribution model was just... It's an oligopoly with three or four big players and they owned the market completely, lock, stock and barrel. So, thankfully, you know, during the 90s, the economy was starting to boom a bit in Ireland people had a few extra dollars, they were kind of traveling a little bit more um, and becoming, getting exposure, exposed to more interesting beers, and we, we set about bringing those beers to Ireland. And I remember some of the German breweries going, look, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a great hunting lodge or fishing lodge in, in West Cork, and very popular with German businessmen, you should get your beer in there, and we were like, sorry, we're not going after that, we're, we're bringing in these German beers for Irish drinkers. Because we we want to we want to get them uh, exposed to uh, to these beers, so the the, the German businessmen are going to have to wait. I'm afraid, you know. I'm not sure you'd want to spend the weekend at that lodge, would you? <laughs> <laughs> I never I never went, but uh, you know. It's but uh, yeah, that, that's really interesting. That you, you you almost had in your mind. It wasn't. It, it seems to me that you had in your mind a bit of a mission statement that you were going to knock down the doors rather than just a mission to make profits from putting in the right places uh, clearly that's important but you you almost seem like you had a it was a bit of a evangelical kind of we're gonna get this into people's uh psyche and well look I, i'll never forget i walked into uh, a place called the, the buttery brasserie just off grafton street in dublin and um, late 90s and the guy that i was there to see was kind of busy serving some people and there's these two guys sitting at the bar drinking pints of budweiser and uh, they see me coming in and, you know, setting up, and I poured a glass, a, a bottle of Erdinger into an Erdinger glass, and the pair of them started falling around laughing. thought this was the funniest thing ever, and they just said to me, mate, they said, like, don't waste your time. Budweiser is the king of beers. <laughs> and I just looked at them, and I remember walking out the door later on, and just going, like, 
that's just given me the extra motivation that I needed, you know, just to, to keep doing this because, look, people need to be enlightened, you know, and it was the fact that just died in the wool. You had all these people just kind of hook, line, and sinker. This is the brand that I drink. It's the king of beers that, you know, and I'm like, look, for me, I see, I see beer like music in many ways. You may start off listening to some kind of boy band or something similar to that, kind of uh, commercial and kind of in it for the money. And then somehow you find yourself listening to Miles Davis, you know, and your, your taste changes as you go, thankfully, or at least it should. So, you know, from terms of beer or from music, you start off with something bland that is like a gateway into beer. And then as you progress, you become more experimental and you get into the really good stuff. And I, I think that that's where it's at. And that's absolutely, that analogy actually works for what you said before, which was, if I'm in the mood for it, well, I'll drink a different type of beer. The same with music. Sometimes you do want to listen to a bit of Boys Owner Westlife. Did I? Well, is, speak is, for is yourself, this, yeah. Is this recorded? <laughs> Not me, I have to add. Yeah. You do want to listen to uh, Daniel O'Donnell. Or <laughs> well, that's more like it, yes. But... Um, you know, there are those days where you, you, or the moments where you listen to more uh, pop stuff, and then there's other times when you want to listen to, you know, it's more it's again, it's who's right or who's who's wrong. Yeah. You know, it's up it's up to the individual. If you like, you like what you like, and and that's and even in terms of with wine and stuff, doing a lot of wine tasting with different people. And at the end of the day, it's like you know, if you like it, then yeah, it's great. And if you don't like, it, then it's not for you. It doesn't mean it's not a good wine. It just means it's not for you. And, uh, and I, I believe in that. You know, I think everyone has to kind of uh, find what they like. But in order to find it, you've got to try a few. I'm still picturing you in this uh, pub setting up and the two guys with the king of beers. Uh, you know, considering most Irish people I've met uh, are against the monarchy, to, <laughs> to support the king of beers seems counterintuitive, to say the least. <laughs> so you mentioned Erdinger before. I know that you passionate clearly passionate about german beers um but tell us about the the people behind the brewery there well that's really one of the cases and points and you know i think like that's the thing about if you look at whole garden for example you've got people like pierre chelis and you know there's a guy who's a milkman and really lamenting the fact that the wit beer style of beer disappeared from his hometown and set about you know, bringing it back with a couple of friends and, you know, that turned into Hogarden. So he was a milkman? He was a milkman initially. The, o- the yeah. only other famous milkman I know is Sting from the police. <laughs> he used to be a milkman. <laughs> I would have preferred Sting to have made a, a high-quality wheat beer, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I never knew that, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's amazing. But, yeah, Pierre Chelis, but again, it's, it's one of these kind of personalities and... Like his story is is really kind of compelling, and I, w- I would urge people who aren't familiar with him to to check him out, man. Google him and, and find out about him. He's no longer with us, but um, a fascinating story. And um, look, one other character that really has made a big influence on me, even though I don't know him all that well, uh, Werner Brombach, and he's the guy that owns Erdinger. Um, so it's been going for over 125 years now. And look, you're talking about a guy who has dedicated his entire life, not just to Erdinger, uh, the brand, uh, but to wheat beer. And wheat beer was kind of going out of fashion big time in Germany, kind of during the 60s and 70s. And, you know, a lot of younger drinkers, and still to this day, you know, want to try something different, don't want to drink what their, their folks were drinking or whatever. And 
you know, he really uh, has championed that style of beer from Bavaria um, internationally and I think has really made it, you know, brought it over the line and kept it going. And a lot of other kind of large German wheat beer brands are really benefiting as a result of the kind of tireless kind of effort uh, and passion that he put in to that beer. So I just, I just wanted to, you know, we're talking about, you know, five or six beers that really impressed, but he's one of the guys um, that just dedicated his life to doing. He's still, you know, involved. And uh, yeah, so hats off to Werner. Yeah, most definitely. Now, you are in sales, marketing, you you have that's an essential part of your role in the in the job that you've got to persuade people now there's over the years because you 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 do your family's from a beer background there's been a lot of fads come and go a lot of different types of glassware a lot of different types of way to serve beer time you should spend what are the ones that you think have been great and which ones do you are you thinking of bringing to australia that's a that's a bit of a question, all right. Um, <laughs> I'm probably thinking about Guinness in a bottle with a widget. That was a bit of a fail. Uh, no, I'm, I'm thinking it's, uh, it's, it's really I'm, in, the in success of the German uh, glassware, for example, like mm. Erdinger. Um, the glassware is is spectacular and definitely goes to, towards selling a beer if you see someone else across the bar with one you think well, well, look, what beer is you that you know i know we're going to talk about you know vessels or glassware later on and look, the, the point is this if you pour champagne into a wine glass it's not really champagne anymore you know and it's uh, the glassware is so important and we will come to that in a little bit but look i suppose the whole thing it's interesting and sometimes a bit bemusing uh seeing like mexican beers with a slice of lemon and stuff and it's 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 cool and but again it's um these things are a little bit faddish in a way and uh, but you know what if people enjoy it and that's how they want it cool you know well one thing that isn't a fad is uh, kind of the brand of Ireland mm. because the the strength of that of the brand of Ireland in terms of you know the Celtic crosses in terms of you know the music the the mysticism around it you know you look at irish whiskies and things and their names are definitely you know very evocative and the, the lit, um, literature history and things like that in in ireland even a whiskey i think is called writer's tears which yeah. could only be an irish whiskey really Absolutely, yeah. um you know o'hara's definitely trade on that kind of tradition yeah is is that a good thing or is is that going to stifle uh, the modernization of Irish craft beer well look the, the good thing is that there's such variety you've got guys that are really at the you know the kind of far end of craft and uh, they've been very experimental and they don't do traditional at all so you've got that real kind of spectrum happening in Ireland and that's what's really fantastic but the thing is you know an Irish dry stout or a real Irish red ale um, they're they're really enjoyable, and there's not many people doing them properly. And look, I think when it comes to those styles, you, you can't really beat the Irish. Uh, they're they're pretty malt-driven beer, and we've got fantastic barley malt. And I think that's the real signature of a lot of the Irish craft beers that are choosing to do an interpretation of a traditional style. And I think that's what Carlo Brewing Company O'Hara's have done exceptionally well. Um, they, they've taken these very classic beer styles that are synonymous with Ireland and uh, they've given them a, a bit of love and uh, and care and said that this is but again if people are trying these beers expecting to be blown away with this kind of 
you know, huge wave of kind of flavor. It, it ain't about that. You know, it's about subtlety. It's about having that little bit of chocolate, that kind of, you know, espresso kind of on the nose and, you know, in the flavor and just, just seeking it out. So they're not overly flamboyant and kind of crazy. Uh, and, and that's, you know, people need to expect, or manage their expectation when they're trying these because they, they do lure you in. And once, once you get into them, they're, they're really satisfying. Yeah. We, we've talked on a podcast before about this, uh, the format of trying beers and tasting paddles. And often those beers will be lost in a tasting paddle against other more aggressive styles. But as you say, it's all about the relationship, isn't it? It's about mm. the warm fire, the sitting down, the taking time. And it's, it, it, I'm, it's quite a, you know, I'm not into yoga, but I'm into drinking red ale. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like you get into a meditative state uh, fairly, you know, over a few hours. Well, that's the, that's the thing is that there's so many different factors that can influence, you know, what you want to drink or what you want to eat. And um, look, it's great. And what I really struggle with sometimes is you meet people who only ever drink one brand of beer. And I can't imagine only ever drinking one brand of wine for my whole life or listening to one band. Um, and it's just the, the fact that people uh, agree to forego um, all of that, you know, adventure and excitement and trial just to be one one brand you know it's it's amazing but i suppose at the same time you know you you do want your your beer or whatever for people to be able to enjoy it over a longer period of time and not just have it once and say right that's it off the off the list what's next and there is that kind of thing and i suppose all craft brewers are trying to to deal with that to say look you know yeah we're going to do these seasonals and you know we're going to do very interesting one-offs and stuff but there has to be some kind of brand underneath that you know is going to be consistent and continuous that people actually can get into you know and i, I think that's pretty important to have i think it's good to mix it up uh, both ways big time yeah most definitely so choice four they're going to jump um, not too far away from erdinger but across the border into czech republic so budvar and look it's um again it's one of these styles lager you know a couple of years ago, nine out of every ten beers sold globally was a lager, like a blonde beer, and was deemed to be kind of, kind of pretty bland or whatever. And in most cases, it probably was. But um, Budvar is just an exceptional uh, beer brand. And I don't know of any other brewery, large or small, uh, that lager their beer for 90 days um, before it's, it's, it's ready to go. And I know from having kind of worked with Budvar over a number of years that even whenever they were expanding the brewery to, to meet with, you know, increased kind of demand, it wasn't just about new brewing equipment. They had to have kind of storage lagering facility as well because if they brewed more beer, they had to have increased capacity to store the beer and let it lager uh, for, for the 90 days because they're just, um, they're ruthless on that. They're, they're not going to let the beer out the door until it has gone through the the proper process and for that I think Budvar is a phenomenal story and David and Goliath and I think it's the longest running kind of uh, legal battle between two brands in the world ever so you've got Budweiser in the US versus you know Budjavitsky Budvar or Budweiser from the Czech Republic and two the, the, the beers don't taste anything anything the same <laughs> and uh, I, I'm very very lucky to have spent a bit of time at the brewery over the years and getting a chance to go through the brewery and then you know, even off the, the brewery circuit and go down uh, into where they store the hops 
and you've got these like female sats, cone hops, uh, big bales of them, and you just grab them and break them apart, and they just crumble in your hands, and just the aromas and stuff. And like, obviously, a lot of breweries are using pellets and say that they're every bit as good and whatever. But I'll never forget having a big clump of these uh, sats hops just sitting in my hand and just the the filling the the room with the kind of aromas. It's uh, pretty amazing. So I think Budvar, you know, um, just one of those. I think, you know, Michael Jackson, who people may not be totally familiar with nowadays, but again, before craft beer really became a thing, you had this kind of weirdo called Michael Jackson, not the singer. <laughs> um, he's UK, looked like a bit of a, a, a professor type. And uh, he was just going around visiting all these breweries around the world. He was fascinated by, by beer. And I think he was like the, almost like a David Attenborough of, uh, of beer before beer became what it is today. And it's kind of very much, you know, it's changed quite, quite a lot. So he's, he's kind of funny going back and looking at some of the old YouTube clips of Michael Jackson uh, visiting the likes of Budvar and Pilsner Urquell and some of these uh, other long-standing breweries. And the other thing is, like with the likes of Erdinger, you know, over 125 years, we're, we're sitting here having a, a Kostricher Schwartz beer from Germany at the moment. I'm, I'm just looking at the glass, and 1543 it was founded. You know, so I'm just wondering the longevity of so many of these new breweries that are coming on. You know, if you hit 50 years, you do 100 years, like, well done. And some of them will and deserve to, but others won't. And uh, I think for any of these beers that have been around that long, it's uh, it's amazing. They, they seem to have captured the, you know, the the importance of doing things with integrity uh, and the old-fashioned way. Whilst obviously, you know, looking at modernity and seeing how things can be done in this day and age to make things commercially viable as well. So yeah. it's impressive. And I remember my uh, having a Budvar um, when it started to become a bit more available in the UK. And the format was, I think you had to buy it in like a 500ml bottle. And it had the, the, the foil, the gold foil on top oh, where yeah. you, you'd open the cap and it would just hang, stuck to the foil. That yeah. was special. And it, it, as you write, it, I wasn't a big lager fan. Um, and that's obviously in that style, but... It was delicious. <laughs> it was fruity and light and well, you it's, it's the raw ingredients that they have. You know, there's got the Moravian barley malt as well. These female sats, uh, cone hops that are brewed or sorry, grown locally as well, just on their doorstep. And to have, look, it's a bit like eating food in Italy. It's like, yeah, I can get tomatoes where I live and I can get basil <laughs> or whatever, but it doesn't taste anything like this, you know? <laughs> so there's just something about, you know, provenance yeah. and provenance and... I think, um, and that's one of the great things that, you know, people getting into craft beer. Craft beer is getting people interested in beer again. And for a long time, that wasn't the case. And even when you look at, you know, in the U.S., I believe in the early 90s, there was less than 80 breweries servicing the entire United States of America. You know, it just means that it's been dumbed down to, you know, like it's just corporate has taken over. And um, just got to the stage where bland is better and... Um, so people looking for, um, it's just amazing that, that people have actually got back into it and, and fought for it and bring back beers with flavor. And now the big guys are kind of having to acquire all of these small uh, crafty breweries. And, uh, you know, it's, um, there's, I suppose that's, that's just the way the market goes in that way as well. But probably better that the big guys are getting involved in it, whether people agree with it or not, rather than trying to sabotage it. 
That's true, yeah. I suppose there is a big difference between, as you were talking about, the dirty tricks and cutting the lines and trying to run someone out of business as opposed to accepting it, rolling with the punch, taking on acquiring brands, um, albeit, you know, maybe they uh, put scales of economy and slight changes to those brands. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it probably is a lot more healthier for the industry than uh, certainly that way. So, choice five. Okay, well, I'm going to, um, I'm going to jump into uh, O'Hara's and um, Carlo Brewing Company. And it, obviously, it's a beer that I'm importing into Australia now at the moment. It's, it's been um, one of the pioneers of the Irish craft beer scene, and they've been on the go since 1996. And look, they've, they've worked their asses off. And I'd say that like, any craft brewer out there knows it ain't easy. And uh, it takes hard work, determination, and you really have to have a, a vision of what you're trying to achieve and the tenacity to stick with it. And these guys have, have done that and... You know, it's uh, O'Hara's is now it's you know twenty five percent of all craft beer brewed on the island of Ireland is brewed by O'Hara's by Carlo Brewing Company, and uh, they've managed to crack it both ways. They they export fifty percent, a lot of it goes to the U.S., and um, more importantly, the other fifty percent is sold in the domestic market in Ireland. So, if you're in Ireland these days and you go to a pub, yes, you see your Guinness, your Kilkenny, whatever else, maybe Heineken, but you'll also see O'Hara's and stuff mixing it up with those other brands so it's um, they've done an amazing job of uh, getting their getting their beer into you know a lot of bars and bottle shops and uh, the beers are you know highly awarded and um, I'm just really privileged to be bringing those beers to the Australian market for the first time so so which one of our O'Hara's beers are you going to choose well look uh, I, I, I'm a stout lover and um, you know, as I say, uh, I love Guinness, but I don't really drink it outside of Ireland for all these different kind of reasons. And just because I know I'll be disappointed, to be honest, because it won't taste anything nearly as good as it would do in a particular Neary's pub you, just off you, Grafton Street. So, do you think um, you know when when you go to order a Guinness from a, a local in Melbourne that their heart kind of sinks when you order it in an Irish accent? They <laughs> think. Uh, this might come back. <laughs> the, the pressure's on here. Well, to be honest, I, I, I normally drink a lot of different kind of Australian kind of beers and stuff uh, over here now, and, and that's a good thing here. I'm, I'm living in Australia, and uh, yeah, I'm trying to promote Irish beer because I think for a lot of people, um, they will be impressed and they will be interested in what Ireland has to offer. And uh, the, the, the range that I'm bringing in from O'Hara is at the minute, the likes of the Stout and the Red Hill and their, their IPA. Um, yeah, they're, they're, the Stout and the Red, they're the more traditional styles, but... Um, superbly executed so uh, I think for people who, who do like and appreciate stout at an Irish red and actually know what they are uh, I think they'll be, they'll be really impressed with them So you bring in uh, Irish beer over to Australia mm. is there an avenue for Australian beer going back the other way to Ireland? Well look that's the, the, the plan that, that I've kind of set out I, I see there's a lot of synergies between Ireland and Australia and uh, like we, 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 all, we both love beer, for a start, and we brew very different styles of beer. And um, like it's just that whole idea of like people are interested in trying new things and different beers and collaborations and stuff. And it's just amazing to think that with all the breweries in Ireland at the moment, uh, there's been nobody else importing Irish craft beer to Australia. And like, this is the start of it. I hope this is the start of it for me, because uh, I want to bring in a lot of different Irish craft beers. And... I do quite a bit of work with the guys from 8 Degrees, 
um, in County Cork. And what's really fascinating about the guys is, you know, uh, found about two guys. One's from Melbourne originally, and the other guy's from Auckland. So they've kind of travelled to the other side of the world and basically taught the Irish how to brew good beer. And uh, they are probably on the more adventurous side, and they've got a reputation for producing stunning beers. And uh, absolutely love their beers as well. They're a bit more expensive. They're a bit more kind of craft-oriented. And um, so I don't bring in as large quantities, but um, that's the idea is to bring in some of the uh, more interesting Irish styles to the Australian market. And once I get that established, to start sending some of the interesting Australian craft beers back over and create a little bit of a, a like a, you've got these twin towns or twin cities. I think Australia and Ireland should jump on it. I you think it's a great Ga- opportunity. Gaelic football and AFL, there's already relationships so and synergies yeah. between it. So uh, most definitely that that's really exciting. And hopefully yeah. there's people in Ireland listening to this who can uh, get a bit excited and also well, look, go into the bottle shop and ask. Do you know, there's, there's so many people who spend a couple of years here. It's almost like a rite of passage. And they get a taste for Australian beer. And uh, they miss it when, when, when they go back home and they can't get it. And, uh, and vice versa. So I think there's really uh, there's a, there's a lot of scope here, and I, I see and I have seen for a number of years uh, an opportunity to do something in this space, and uh, that that's what I I plan to do. Yeah. I've got images of uh, a, a young fella spent two years in Australia, goes back to County Mayo, and is asking at local bottle shop for Swan Lager. <laughs> He's probably about ninety years old at this stage. <laughs> But look, I think the likes of Stone and Wood are looking at it now at the minute, and I've, I've actually spoken with the guys before, and uh, there's there's just there's a lot of really exciting brands here in Australia that I think would work very well in Ireland for um, for people who maybe haven't visited Australia but would appreciate how good the beer is. And look, I've got to say, this, you know, buy local, support local, support Australian. Look, I get it, you know, and uh, asking people to... You know, buy a, an imported beer. Some people might get the nose out of whack, but I'm kind of looking at it. Is um, most of these breweries in Australia they want to be able to export as well. So you're you're kind of expecting people to be open-minded uh, somewhere else. And uh, yeah, so 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 get on board and, and check it out. And you know, you're, you're potentially buying an Irish craft beer. You'll know that well. Somebody in Ireland's drinking an Australian craft beer, so they're it's kind of uh, it's swings and roundabouts. Yeah, absolutely, and. Uh Tell me a little bit about the logistics of it. It seems difficult for, for me, who knows nothing about it, to get beer in good shape all the way across from Ireland to Melbourne or to Australia. It's, that sounds difficult. How do you manage it? Well, look, so, so far, I've only brought a couple of containers in so far, and like the, the quality of the beer has been, been excellent. Now, I've, I've been lucky that I've managed to persuade the guys in Kegstar to to get some kegs out of, out of Ireland. So I believe I'm the, I'm the first person to get keg star kegs out of Ireland. And what's happening at the moment is the Stone and Wood guys are sending kegs to the UK uh, via keg star, and I'm getting their empties, and they're being filled in Ireland and shipped back over here. So there's a nice little loop happening there. And uh, like that, that's hopefully going to be something we'll be able to build on. And um, I brought key kegs in before but I, I find that the stainless steel kegs they just seem to have, the quality of the beer seems to be better they last a bit longer and stuff so you know I know there's changes happening to the excise duty on different keg formats and stuff but you know I think the, the keg star thing if I can make that work then uh, yeah it should be pretty good yeah absolutely okay choice six I, I remember coming to Australia in 1995 and the very first beer that I had in Australia 
Uh, it was in Sydney, we're in a bar, and I had a Cooper's Pale Ale. And I was like, wow, that's pretty phenomenal. So, you know, bottle conditioned, bottle fermented, sparkling ale. Um, there's just something about Australian ales that are really distinctive. I can't exactly explain it. Um, it's just that kind of combination of the malt and the hops had a very, you know, distinctive Australian flavour to it. And I just thought Cooper's was phenomenal, you know, and I, I still do, you know. I think it's great that they've managed to, you know, keep pace with everything that's happening in the craft industry and stuff. And I'm also a big fan of the guys and Little Creatures. And I remember visiting the brewery in Fremantle a number of years ago and just being before they got obviously taken over. And um, there was a guy that I met, I can't remember his name, but he was in the kind of bottle shop area and he was... While he was talking to me, he was printing logos onto paper bags and T-shirts and stuff, and <laughs> this real kind of uh, homemade kind of approach. And uh, the beers were great, and they just had that kind of vibe and passion that, that really impressed me. So, yeah, it's uh, and look, I think Stone and Wood is a is a cracker as well. And we were just talking earlier, it's it's amazing that for so many years it was being voted, you know, the number one beer craft beer in Gabs top 100, but it was also probably the most kind of biggest selling. Australian craft beer in Australia at that time and it's a bit of an oxymoron because normally in the craft scene once something gets overly popular people tend to walk away from it so it just shows that they were doing something really right to be number one with the craft folk and still hitting the volumes that they were as well so good luck to them yeah so uh, we'll call that a Cooper's Pale Ale for the sixth beer yeah it, it it's <laughs> just a staple isn't it it's just it is, it's, yeah. Uh, and to to put it at that price point as well, like they do, forty five dollars a slab or something. It's hard to argue with. I think. Uh, well, I think it's it's the way beers are made, and you know, it's like a lot of things. You can do it the right way, or you can do it the kind of quick way. And uh, you know, the, the guys are are they do it the right way, and it shows. So yeah. But just lovely to come uh, like Australia at the time, nineteen ninety five and ninety six. You would have come. Nothing would have been bottle conditioned except for Coopers. Yeah. So it would have stood out massively, I think, uh, and that's that's great. So uh, we're going to talk about your snack to go with these beers, and then uh, your receptacle to drink them out of. Alrighty. Well, look, um, I suppose, but with look, jumping into German pills and stuff, I think because it's 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 a lighter, crisp kind of with a bit of bitterness. Um, I think chili prawns, something like that, uh, would work very well. That's what I tend to, to have it with. Um, likes of Erdinger, I've been lucky enough to be a guest at the Erdinger Herbs Fest, and because the brewery is located a couple of kilometres outside of Munich uh, city walls, they're not allowed to participate in the actual Oktoberfest, so they've created their own, and it's called the Erdinger Herbs Fest. And I recommend anybody. Uh, who's going to Germany for, you know, Oktoberfest, whatever. You know, this is like a boutique festival with uh, three or 4,000 people. The whole town come out and get involved. And uh, it just has... You can just really enjoy it without all of the kind of hassle of the, of the huge crowds that you have in Munich. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing. It's a cultural experience. And it's just weird, man, because you've got, like... People come out, the, the, the kids are there enjoying it as well, and it's this whole attitude towards beer um, that is just different from from how we see it, and um, it's just a fantastic, and very little, you know, you don't see any trouble or people really misbehaving. Um, it's not all about the beer, it's about going and having a good time and having fun and the music and being with friends, and 
I think like that's the the beauty about beer in so many ways that it potentially it can do that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds such a better place to go than Oktoberfest as well. <laughs> well, look, if you're if you're into your beers and uh, man, it's Erdinger Herbs Fest, you got to Google it, check it out. I am going to look it up. <laughs> you will you will be blown away because it's just it's it's a beautiful experience. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. We'll we'll book the flights. Um, if if our wives don't go, we'll we'll go together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, um, what is your um, uh, receptacle to drink these out of? What are you going to drink? Well, look them again. It's um, it comes back to you know the glassware is just pivotal, and each different beer style um, deserves or warrants its own particular style of glass. So to have a favorite tumbler that I drink everything out of, no, it's. Um, you know, if I'm going to drink the beer, it, it needs to be in the right kind of glass or as close as I can get to it. And uh, look, I remember dealing with a little bar in Belfast. Um, and when we first brought in Erdinger, um, they were losing so many glasses that whenever you came in, if you wanted to drink Erdinger out of an Erdinger glass, you had to take off one of your shoes and put it behind the bar. <laughs> and whenever you bought your glass back, they gave you your shoe back. So you could you could walk home. So, um, yeah, but again, it's... Um, you know, having the, the the right glassware because you you know certain beers just just need it, and again it's, it's often overlooked. And I think for restaurants in particular, they're just missing a massive opportunity. Um, you know, pouring the right beer in the right glass is the difference between having an instant coffee out of a jar, or you know, a double macchiato uh, you know made by a barista. There, there's that much, and, and beer deserves it. Beer deserves to be taken seriously, and oftentimes it's not. But you know. It's uh, it's come a long way. Give me an example of a glass that really hits the mark for you. Well, look again when you're talking about about pills. That's just it's just has that impression. You know, waiting four minutes for a perfectly poured glass of pills. Now, unfortunately, now in Germany, it's becoming less and less because people don't have time to wait. So again, it's like with a lot of these developments, and you know, we're we're convenience, you know, over quality and I think that's just happening every now and again if you're into your beer man there's, there's different ways of pouring beers and I actually posted a photograph on, on Facebook the other day of, of a beer that I was pouring and somebody jumped on me and going you know learn how to pour your beer look at the big head and it's like look <laughs> the you know I, I poured the way that I thought that it, it needed to be poured because um, look I think most of your taste buds are in your nose so that's what you pick up on the aroma and the flavor and that, that's what gets you that gets your mouth watering and gets you ready for what's about to come and um, you know I think yeah having, having a good head on the beer depending on, on the type of beer each deserves the right glassware and to be poured in the correct way and I think a lot of bartenders out there you've all these guys you know baristas and mixologists and the whole lot that are fanatical about what they're serving up to people and I think beer is probably the, probably the still big open goal uh, that exists is learning how each different style of beer should be poured and served. And again, if you look at Colts beer, if you ever go to Cologne and you get those little 0.2 liter Stange beers, it's just phenomenal, you know? And um, you drink them while they're cold. You're not supposed to have these big glasses that your hands heat up the beer and it gets all out of shape. Uh, you drink it while it's cold and you enjoy it and you, you get the next one. And obviously, you drink in moderation, but uh, you have a good time. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're the first Irishman who said that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Possibly the last. <laughs> so, yeah, I uh, absolutely agree because I recently went out in the city to a couple of reputable, very reputable bars and bought a beer in a can 
and no glass. <laughs> I did kind of think, you know, I understand them in Australia and there is a place for drinking out of a tinny. But give me a glass. So it's a nice place. It's, yeah. it's 9 or $10. <laughs> I just want, want a bit of theatre to go with it. And certainly when you're having a meal, you want the theatre. And yeah, I think you're right. You're missing a trick if you, uh, if you just use standard glassware and pots and pints so yeah but look if, you, if you're at the beach or you're at the footy match and you start pulling out a, a can and then you start pouring into the glass you're going to get a few funny looks you know so <laughs> there's, a, there's a time and place but particularly if you've managed to smuggle a large pills glass into the, <laughs> into the uh, MCG definitely uh, where can we buy O'Hara's it's available in, in selected Dan Murphy stores they've kind of taken a bit of a, a trial on it the last kind of six months I've just really been pushing hard getting distribution in Melbourne and in Sydney and look, it's starting to pop up now in most good bottle shops. And um, yeah, so it's pretty widely available. They're actually the fifth province. The guys have been super supportive. Um, they've got O'Hara's on tap. They do a lot of the eight degrees stuff. And that's in Fitzroy Street in St. Kilda. St. Kilda. Yep. Uh, shout out to the guys in the Mill and Constance in Brisbane. Uh, they, they went through, they did like a, an Irish tap takeover a few weeks back. And uh, it's phenomenal. And um, yeah, so PJO Brands in Sydney, They've got it going there as well. And it's really weird. Like Some of the Irish bars have been the least receptive. And I'm just scratching my head sometimes, you know, um, because the thing is, to call yourself an Irish bar in a modern sense, you have to have a range of Irish craft beer. And it's the same as you go into just about any decent Australian pub. Yeah, they're going to have your mainstream brands, but they're also going to have a decent selection of craft brands as well. So... That's what I'm saying. Guys, if you run an Irish pub, you can't call yourself a proper Irish pub unless you've got at least some kind of offering from an Irish craft range. But also, wouldn't it be nice to stock something that's owned by Irish business and people rather than it being owned by a somewhere else? You're actually buying into Ireland and hopefully uh, that will, you know, work in a cyclical way where we can get more beer and more co- good quality coming through as well so well I, I must say there's a there's i'm not the only guy doing this now I, i'm i'm the first as far as i'm aware to bring it in um but i know of quite a few other guys that are now jumping in and going to go for it and look bring it on because man the beers need to get here because they're amazing and um i think australians are going to be delighted with them and look we, we got to look at how do we get more australian beers and i think that's the next big thing for a lot of these australian craft brewers is the export side of things. And uh, Australia's got a fantastic reputation. Just one last little fact that, that may surprise some people. Um, the US exports 10% of its craft beer, or 10% of its craft beer exports, should I say, go to the UK, population 65 million, thereabouts. Uh, 10% go to Ireland, population 4.5 million. So you, just, you, you see that in Ireland, we're drinking everything. Basically, and uh, we're doing local, but we're also doing imported, and we're interested in good beer, and uh, and that that's I think Australia has uh, an opportunity to, to get in on that as well. I'd, I'd hope to be involved in uh, in some shape or form and making that happen. And if we can, I'm sure there's Irish people listening to this episode crying out for Swan Lager. If we can get that, <laughs> if we can if we open up that pathway again, I but think it's amazing that I had somebody today actually. Um, Ackland Sellers, I'll have to just mention him by name, going, can you get me Harp Lager? And I'm like, are you kidding me, man? You, you know, <laughs> you're killing me here, you know? 
But uh, Harp's actually probably one of the better Irish brewed beers from a commercial perspective, you know. Yeah. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not bringing it in, no. <laughs> you draw the line yeah. and well done Ackerman and Sellers because they do do uh, some great beers as well absolutely um, so uh, where can we find you online are you got an online presence you look if you're interested in checking out um, the Irish portfolio that I have um, you can go to artisanireland.com.au which is a bit of a landing page that brings you through to my main site um, I'm called Rhizome beverages and uh, we'll put that in the show notes so people can uh, brilliant, click yeah. on that um, from the phone or wherever they're listening to the well, podcast because people say like Rhizome and, I, and I, you know I could have picked an easier name like <laughs> ABC Beer Company or whatever but you know what Rhizome the first time I came across the word the definition that accompanied it was the heart of the root of the hop plant and I just thought wow that's a fantastic name so it may be hard to pronounce, hard to spell, especially when you've got an Irish accent. Um, but look, it means something, and that's it. So uh, rhizome, and um, it's, um, even if you cut it off, it grows back, and it keeps going. It's a phenomenal thing. So worth, worth having a bit of a Google if you're... We're still talking about a hot plant here. <laughs> well, that's the thing, and it's, uh, it's, it's hard to get one over on the, the super beer geeks, but you know, very few people are familiar with the, the word rhizome, but it is actually... A, it's the heart of the root of the hop plant, and without hops, do you have beer? I'm not sure. You know? <laughs> that seems a great note to end it on. So thanks so much, Greg. Uh, it's been fascinating. It's been a pleasure, Ian. Thank you for inviting me. It's been great fun. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Cheers. Slaunch it. Well, that was it. Greg McElheron from Rhizome Beverages. Oh, that was just from start to finish. I could have talked to Greg for hours and hours more. Um, we did record that one in a venue called Bow, which is in Bow Morris, uh, which is just down the coast, uh, south of Melbourne. And it's a lovely venue, uh, a little bit echoey and uh, bare-walled, so apologies if uh, that was a bit of a distraction, but I think it was it was fine. The quality uh, won out there. A great selection of craft beer in there as well. As I said in the Chosen Brew update, uh, which was a couple of months ago, there are some changes afoot at the Chosen Brew, and... Some of you eagle-eared and eagle-eyed listeners may have noticed that um, the podcast has changed its name. Well, not really, but it's changed a little. There's a, there's an extra word in there uh, which says beer. I changed it, really, just to help people find the podcast. The Chosen Brew, lots of people are into coffee. Uh, it's not coffee. In the north of England, we call a cup of tea a brew. Uh, it's not about tea, really. So I thought I needed to put the word beer in there. So it is the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. It's been a pleasure again. Looking forward to the next episode. In the meantime, do all the nice things. Share on social media, review on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. That all does genuinely help. And keep supporting good beer and good podcasts. And hopefully we'll catch up for one soon. Take it easy.